Listener Production. Okay, are you recording? G'day team, you are listening to episode 156 of the Howie Games, part A, with what must be said is a rather croaky intro. Sorry about that, probably called too many games of footy on the weekend. Anyway, we push on. This episode features a man that dominated the AFL across 200 games for the Richmond Football Club, Alex Rance. With Blair, Rance, look at the desperation, tucked it away. Rance is a fierce competitor, got him in the taxes playing a career game. He has been since, look, he gives him a start and runs straight past him to cut that off. Brilliant play. Here's a bit more class to Rance. At the back, Rance, Rinwell, Michael. Torpedo inside 50, Rance, Rinwell. Now, I should say right here at the start, Alex's life has many, many more chapters to it than simply footy. Alex is a really, really deep thinker. His head is full of all sorts of ideas. And the thing that I really enjoyed about talking to him is his ability and his want to challenge the norm. Alex gave the game away at the peak of his and his team's powers. But his explanation of why he pulled the pin on his career, I found it remarkable. Just like Alex, I guess, in many ways. But when I thought about it afterwards, when I really thought about what he said, about why he stopped playing, I moved past what he gave up and saw what he gained, which is the way Alex sees it. So many lost and left behind And no one seemed to care Those who should seems like they're blind Pretending they're not there Can't they see they hold the key Could make things better if they try Oh my Jaja, tell me why Won't they open up their eyes Alex has started a school Yeah, a school, I tell you, he's a remarkable man It is called The Academy You will hear about it in this episode It's a different way to educate More targeted I guess you would say, to individual student needs, using sport to engage students across traditional learning pathways. But once again, when I thought about it, I could see lots of benefits. Check out theacademy.com.au as well as Academy Athlete, which is more athlete and football focused. Enjoy the story of Alex Rance, a bloke that gets stuff done. And you never know, Alex may just knock on your door one day or will be revealed. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be Revealed in King Selassie I Come on children, try it with me We want to reach Mount Zion Welcome to the Howie Games, a man that's a five-time All-Australian Premiership player from the Richmond Football Club, but he has done so much more than footy in life. He's built a school, of all things, which we need to talk to him about. His name is Alex Rance, and he is an exceedingly good-looking man. Rancey, it is good to see you. How are you? Thanks, Howie. Uh, yeah, I'm... I don't, know, I don't know what to take of that intro, but I'll, <laughs> I'll just keep rolling with the punches. Hey, I want to say to you right off the top, I generally come into a podcast with a fair idea. Oh, but actually, before that, what did you say to me just as we were walking in about one of your mates said to you? Uh, he said, uh, "Oh, the Howie Games. They've done like Kelly Slater and some pretty big names. Well, what are you? What are you? What are you doing <laughs> jumping on uh, on that podcast?" And I guess that's that's what mates are for. Keep that you, is keep you grounded. But uh, yeah, I, I'm, I like to think of myself as a pretty humble guy, and I'm I'm. I'm honoured to be on your show. Well, mate, we're stoked to have you. What I got partway through saying, and I said this to Das, normally I have a guest on and there's no real structure to this, but I have a general idea in my head the things we're going to cover. I'll be honest with you, 
I have no idea. To the point where I actually rang a few people um, that, that you've been closely associated with football and said, what makes him tick? And they said, well, we can tell you about him as a footballer, but as a person away from football, we can't tell you too much because he's a reasonably private chap. And I was like, oh, holy moly, I'm not sure how this is going to go, <laughs> Rancy. So the best way for me to start it, I think, is do you still watch footy? Are you still invested in footy? Do you watch the Tigers when they play this weekend or is that then and this is now? Oh, I still love football. Um, I It just has a different place in my life now. Um, I think, yeah, so in answer to your question, yes. Like I love watching the Bombers and I love watching the Tigs and I love watching my mate Richie Wallace play for the Dogs. And I've got a, yeah, a lot of um, love and, and interest in, in the game still, but it's not as... Um, my world doesn't revolve around it. Like, I'm not going to say, oh, sorry, guys, I can't come out for dinner because the Tigers are playing. Like, now I feel like it has much more of a controlled place in my life. Away from work and the academy, which I'm going to ask you about in a moment, what, what's your perfect day? Like, what, what are your interests? What are you doing? What are you into? Because a couple of people said to me, now, this man, Rancy, he's a very creative style customer as well. What, what are you into? Uh, I love... Uh, keeping fit. So I love running with my dog and doing gym sessions and things like that. Um, my, my perfect day at the moment would be up on the Gold Coast with my, my two nephews and my niece and my sister and my brother-in-law and maybe going for a bit of a run with them in the morning and then doing a... Uh, my brother-in-law, he has a, a great construction business and uh, does a lot of cool things. And so just spitballing about life and how we can make things better and improve things and adapt things and, you know, just you know, throwing common problems at each other and thinking, how can we make uh, a solution of this? Hmm. So, um, yeah, we're just always thinking about apps, inventions, business ideas and, and things like that. But it's usually surrounded around my family and um, and that now. You're a enigmatic type. You're an enigma, Rancy. No one, even when you were playing footy, no one quite knew what to make of you because you weren't, and I, I don't say this negatively or positively, you weren't the stereotypical footballer and the pers- people I've spoke to have said, yeah, he is definitely not the stereotypical footballer. What would you say is the stereotypical footballer? Completely 100% invested in the game. I was told you were 120% devoted to your best performance. I'll give you a perfect example. Actually, when you did your knee. Rancis down. Yeah, he's not feeling great at the moment, Rance. Holding the right knee. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, that's a worry. I watched this clip back, and I actually wrote it down. I didn't think this would come up. What did you say here? Uh, the journal obviously said to you, as you're walking out of the old scanning place, um, this must be shattering. I didn't hear the question. Your answer was, I wouldn't say it's shattering. That's a little bit dramatic. It is what it is. There are injuries in footy all the time. I'm grateful that I have the life that I have and I've got people around me that I do. So that is a man that loves the game, but it's not his be-all and end-all. That's this general vibe I'm getting. It's probably pretty accurate, yeah. Is it? Um, but, I, but I would say to that I'm probably an extremist when it comes to um, – if it is something that I love doing, um, I will I will push myself really hard to be successful at it. And I chose that to be football for a, a portion of time. But also it was a weird relationship that I had with football that kind of um, – there was so much of it that I 
resonated with, uh, but there was almost so there was so much of it that conflicted with my inner self and best self as well. Um, and and I guess that's why that's I guess where the enigma comes from that there mm. was some consistencies where some people would be like, yeah, he must love the game. He has to have loved the game to be able to you know, stay late at training and, and do extra reps and um, watch heaps of tape and, and recover from his knee the way that he did. But then there's other ways that's like, well, then why did he retire straight after? Like what, mm. the, what's the – that that's where I think people don't understand and um, probably a little bit as well why people just made up stories as well. Like why people – because they don't understand and they, they, it's just hypothesizing and, oh, it must have been that he'd, you know, done something – immoral within the footy club that he wants to leave. Well, that was not the case at all. No. It's just that I'd sort of reconciled the 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 checks and balances of what I'd invested in the game and I thought, well, now's probably time for me to just change tact. Um, <laughs> so I, I can I can see why the enigmatic um, tag goes on me because for a long time I did feel quite conflicted with my with my footy career. Well we'll get to when you gave it away, but there's a lot to get through before that. I must stress that the people I spoke to said when he was at the footy club, he was the most invested, engaged, hardworking footballer we had or teammate we had. So I don't want people to think you were half-assed at footy because that's that's the opposite of the description I was given. But it was said to me there was other other things in your life as well. So uh, it's up to you, Rancy, how, how much you want to trust this conversation, I guess. What conflicts were there? Um, so when you think about, so what do you think? G- give me the three best attributes that you think make up a great on-field player as, a, as an athlete, as a football AFL footballer. Skill, leadership, and probably courage, but I don't know if they're too cliched. Where do you think aggression rates into that? Like uh, competitiveness, uh, grit, probably above them all. Probably above. From what I've learned on this podcast, probably at the top of the tree. I think it. W- I would say Th- those that seem to be the most competitive, therefore the most aggressive, are typically the most successful. Yeah, like our game is a contested game. Yep. Uh, that we play and. Uh, Courage falls underneath that competitive element, and leadership falls under that competitive element. Like, yep. and, and it and leadership is obviously it manifests itself in a different lens in the business world and in the, the family life and things like that. But for the game of football, I found for me to be the best, like I'll give you example of so my my mental cues for my mental peak performance were proactive, dominant, and physical. Three things. So when you think about two of those, so proactive, fine. Yep, no worries. You can you do that in life. You know, you can think forward ahead of making your, your partner some dinner and cleaning the house, and that's proactive. That's great. That's fantastic. But if you are a dominant in your family life, it's not going to lend too well to some some uh, relationships, is it? No. What about physical? What if you manifest that in your family life? What's I that going to look like? I understand. So. To be successful on the football field, I had to be those three things and that's what made me as a player. And when if you think about me versus any of the big players that I played on, I took the dangerous space. I was physical. I, I used my body because I wasn't as tall as some of these other guys. So I had to be proactive. I had to be physical and I had to be dominant. So then how do you switch that off? And how do you then go into the change room and um, 
you got to calm that down. And there was plenty of times where I I got it wrong with my leadership that I I I was I couldn't be those people. I needed to be loving, empathetic, caring, um, still probably proactive to get on the front foot um, to to support things. So that's where the conflict lay with me hmm. is that on field I had to be this beast, this dominant person that was that that made someone else's day worse. But then when I come off the field, I had to be, I want to make your day better. I want to make your life better. So then how do you switch them on and off? And it's, it, that's that's what made it hard for me. Mate, it's a fantastic explanation. We had on a, a Friday night football show I do on Triple M, Travis Cloak, on last week. And I talked to him that he, he was very reluctant to speak on the media. And when I was in the rooms, you were reluctant to go and ask him because you knew he, he was this big bad guy and he said, oh, well, I don't want to paraphrase him, but he was living a different life. He was living not who he was for his entire career because he was seen as this big, strong poster boy, alpha male. And he said that's the opposite person he was and eventually it ground him down. We we're speaking to Chav Cloak on the Friday huddle. It's, it's a really good point, Chav. You played for the biggest club in the land. You had some tremendous highs and tremendous lows. Like you sound so relaxed now. Sometimes you... Uh, you didn't come across that way when you were playing footy. Is this the real you? And did you sort of have to change yourself for that 15 years? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, when I pulled that jumper on, mate, I was meant to be this Hulk and in, in, impersonator that I had to be really strong and aggressive. And I feel that's not me. Uh, for many years, I battled with it. And to be honest, that was probably the reason what, that pulled me down at the end of my career at the fight. How do you go? How did you go with this conflict? How did you manage it obviously it manifested eventually you're stepping away from the game and we'll get to that but was it a week-to-week thing that you had to think about or month-to-month or end of the season how, how did you go about dealing with it you just mask it like you just you just find other ways to mask it so you reward yourself for that person so uh stats uh votes medals awards all that kind of stuff on field you reward that so it's okay yeah that's a good part that's necessary rather than saying like i feel really bad about punching that person or getting reported for this thing or, mm. you know, crossing the line on the field when I, I probably shouldn't have. So you reward yourself and you mask it. You just look at the good um, rather than the damage that you've done. Um, but then also you probably overdo the other side. So like I spent heaps longer at the footy club investing in relationships to make sure everyone was okay. Um, I went on the footy show and postcards and things like that to make people laugh, to make people happy, Again, a mask to overdo the guilt that maybe I felt for being so dominant and physical on the other side. Wow. So, and again, like I haven't done a heap of sort of psychological work in breaking this down. This is kind of just what I've summed up over the over the course of it. Um, but we all put masks on in some way for things that we're not exactly happy with in our lives. And I think it was my on-field... Um, you know, probably pursuit of fame, pursuit of dominance, pursuit of wealth, things like that, that I felt um, guilty for that I then tried to mask over with, you know, doing all these other funny things to make people laugh and to make people feel like, oh, actually, no, he's not a money-hungry, ego-driven, physically violent person. Mm. So that, that's, yeah, maybe that sums it up in a little bit of a nutshell, but... It, it does. I, I, gee, I have no area of expertise in like psychology, et cetera, but the, the obvious question to me, therefore, is how do you keep track of who the real Alex Rance is when, when, when you're these different people, two different people? 
It's a, yeah, it's a great question. And it's, and it's probably something that I battled with for a long time. I was like, why do people like me? Like, why, why do people associate with me and call me their friend? Um, and the footy world is very fickle too. Like, um, you're only loved for as good a game as you play mm. for a lot of the time. And as long as you're in the spotlight, people want to talk to you and people want to give you endorsement deals and, and things like that. And so it can be quite fickle. So when you're young, you just conform to that. You're like, okay, if this is the person you need me to be. That's the person I'm going to be. And that, if that's what gets me money, and if that's what gets me a game, if that's what gets me... Because I came in in the time where the coach tells you to do something and you do it. You, yes. you say how high and you probably add 20% onto it just to make sure that they know you've done it. Whether it was a moral thing or not, whether it was a within the rules or not, um, and so it was it was challenging to to sort of constantly second guess. Is it the off field guy who's caring, supportive, loving, funny, prankster team man that you love, or do you just love me because I can win you games and because I can stop a forward and because I can be aggressive and dominant and physical? So it, it was a constant dilemma for me and and you do see and I can probably speak for a lot of retired footballers a relatively high attrition rate of associates from football you've got 40 friends who you're hanging out with all the time we're going to be best friends for life we see it with school as well don't we like we, do. we think about year 12 like like friends forever yeah you know, that's why they sung that song who sung that like TLC or yes something like yes that. Like, nice friends um, nice <laughs> So, um, you know, <laughs> something like that. And then when, you know, three, six months goes along and you've only heard from three or four guys, you're like, oh, I mustn't have been the best friend, would I? But, but you have to challenge those thoughts too because they're not real that everyone just has really busy lives. Like we don't really talk to all 20 of our close friends from graduating high school with. No. Um, but it does bring up those thoughts of what was I valued for? And, and what makes me a good person. And so that was, that's been an interesting little journey for me over the last few years on redefining my priorities and, and what, what I believe makes me a good person to my, to my family, from a, from a spiritual standpoint, um, from, yeah, a, a lot of standpoints. The Academy. Extraordinary. And the Academy athlete. I watch videos. I look at your website. And I read about it and the basic, and in a moment, I'll get you to explain to me what the academy is, but the basic premise from my understanding was that education traditionally has been one size fits all and you were trying to provide an alternative style of education. Um, and I want to preface this with the fact that I don't want to come out here slamming, uh, slamming schools because I think they do the best with with what they've got. The, the the education system, I feel like, is there needs to be rigor around it to say, you know, this is what an education is. You know, you need to be able to do X, Y, Z from a numeracy standpoint, a literacy standpoint, and, and so on. There needs to be rigor. But at the same time, it's very challenging to get 25 people in a room that all have the same passion to engage in in content. So, you know, you and I, we might both really like pour over the Essendon supplement scandal. Let's just pull that apart and talk about all the social dilemmas associated with that, the impacts on mental health, the impacts on what is due diligence and what is uh, trust in people of authority, things like that. You know, that's a great text to talk about for people who love sport and yes. football. But imagine someone who loves Shakespeare and theatre. They're just like, oh, that footy chat is just really not my jam. But, 
we're sort of we're bound to a curriculum at a school which sort of ties you to that text or ties you to that sort of learning style. Um, so my thought was that wouldn't it be nice if there was more passion-based schools where everything that you're learning is aligned to that passion? You And we'll use football as the example that every kid when they're probably 12 to 16 wants to play AFL. Oh, sorry, not every kid. Every kid that plays football, every, every, every boy and girl that plays, plays football, football, just like every kid that plays cricket, boy or girl wants to play for Australia. At the highest level. Absolutely. And so over time you start to realise maybe that's not going to be a reality, but maybe I want to be involved as a statistician or a physio or S&C coach or a dietitian or a commentator, commentator marketing, uh, sales. I might want to be the CEO of a footy club one day. There's so many different things that surround footy clubs over and above just being the player. Um, and so imagine if that was the same case for theatre. You know, well, everyone probably wants to, actually this is probably a bit of a generalisation, but maybe some people want to be in the spotlight. They want to be the actor at mm-hmm. the centre. They want to be the hero. Mm-hmm. Maybe some people want to be the scriptwriter, the scene producer. The There's so many different elements that go into a passion field, but the hero is the one that gets put on the on the pedestal, the player, the the, the lead act. So imagine if there was education organizations that were based around your passion. Like think about e-games for a second. Like how many kids waste so much time on gaming? Why do they love doing it? Because it's there's social a social side to it, but there's also a competitive side to it. What if you trained as well for e-games as you did for a professional cricket or a footballer? Mm. And but you made a school around that where actually I love the coding side of it. I love the sales side of it. I love the involvement with professional athletes. Like you can see how by putting your passion at the center of an education, you can actually create some really cool things off the back of it. So that was the the genesis of the academy that obviously I know football and I know the pathway that it gets to that that it takes to get there. But I did a calculation that 74 players were delisted in my career at Richmond. 70 74 players from when I got there in at the end of 2007 to the end of 2019. Wow. So not all of them, and and this is going to sound very privileged, but we get paid very well, or I did get paid very well as a footballer, but it's not life-changing money. Like you might own your house at the end of it, which for some people is life-changing, but you're still going to have a job. You're not going to be like LeBron James where you can just retire on a beach in Miami. Yes. So if you don't have a plan B... There's some, there's some problems there. So if you think about the 74 players that got delisted in the time that um, I was playing, how many of them went on to either be a coach or in, in the media, which is usually most players sort of plan B yeah. if they've had sort of a career? Not many. No. So are they doing meaningful jobs? Are they satisfied? Are they just living paycheck to paycheck to then maybe make a bit of cash on the weekend playing for some country league footy team and then just sink in some cans to sort of push down the feelings of inadequacy that they felt because they were delisted. What if before that time they had a better understanding of why they were actually playing the game? Is it because you love being physically fit, being outside, the competitive environment, the money, um, whatever it might be, then you can say, well, actually, here's a really good plan B. I love being physically fit and outside. So if football doesn't work out for me, maybe a landscaper would be a great idea Mm. or a trade or something like that. But if I like maybe more the statistic side of it and the more the, the analytical side, maybe this is a plan B for me. So you can see by breaking down the, 
the passion in itself, why you do what you do and having a deeper understanding can lead, you're, not, you're rarely going to fail. You can probably do, take a step left or right, but you're not going to go backwards, which I think a lot of players do when they finish the game. They go backwards and it's like, I've got to start again. So that was the, that was the genesis of the academy. So you've got the academy and then you've got the academy athlete, which is more on the physical side of things and a bit more specific and training and people need to check out the website. They can see exactly what's going on. But we'll come back to your school. How do you start a school? So the academy is <laughs> for year 11 and 12 boys. Yep. You're a bloke that's come out of football. How do you start a school? Uh, with smart people around me. Okay. Good people. Always a good starting Always point. Always a good start. Be the dumbest man in the room. <laughs> um, and that I'm that very regularly and I say a lot of silly things. But I think my strength is questioning everything and also trying to have the humility to not always think you have the you have the best answer. Um, so yeah, I surrounded myself with really good people. You start off with um, good education partners. Um, so uh, at the moment we have two education partners who we write all the curriculum. So we, we write what the, what's there to be delivered. Uh, we make sure it maps all across to all the, the learning outcomes and learning criteria. So we can't just sort of pull it out of the sky that we want to say, oh yeah, we're going to teach this. It needs to map across. Um, and then, yeah, we, we hire the right teachers to make sure that they uh, align with the, the passion of the school as well. Like you don't want to hire a drama teacher to teach at a footy school. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's various different boxes that you need to work through. It, it's like anything. You, you, you just got to start. How did you get your first student? Like what, day one of the school, yeah. how many dudes were there? Uh, 13 was in our first class. 13. So at Essendon, we had 13 in our first class. And do you reckon looking back that their parents and them were, that they were taking a punt or they'd heard you speak so they thought this is us? Like, how, how do they turn up that day? It's a big thing to it's change a, schools. 100%, yeah. It's, and it's a, it's a good question because I think families come to the academy for different reasons. Um, there's the obvious, so now that we're established, there's the obvious um, simulated AFL environment. Yes. That there's the, we've got um, sprint tech, recovery, uh, strength and conditioning programs, skills and drills all weaved into our program and it's, they're, they're very much intertwined with the curriculum. It's not just sort of like, here's your footy program and we're just doing maths, English, chemistry, biology on the side as well. Like they're, they're very much intertwined. So I'll give you an example of our numeracy just quickly. So um, we might study... Um, you know, running patterns in the game of AFL or we might study different um, uh, energy systems, so aerobic, anaerobic, something like that. Then we'll chuck a GPS on, go out, we'll do a, our conditioning session or skills session. We'll come back in and we'll break down the data. So what's the average speed we're running, our standard deviations? That's your what are the average? Component. So that's our maths component, which is cool, bespoke to what we're doing. Same as numerous uh, literacy. You know, we talked about the Essendon Supplement Scandal. We study that. We study the Adam Goods doco. How does it make you feel? Imagine if you were... Goodsy. Imagine like talking about, we don't know, it doesn't always have to be Shakespeare to say, construct a opinion piece mm. on, on this and then let's, let's compare and contrast and let's, let's talk about how this person feels about it. Why is it different? Are they right? Well, it's their opinion. So they're of course right. Back to Alex in a tick. Next up on the show... Not quite sure at this exact moment, to be fair. Either an international who has forged a path in Australia, a multi-sports superstar, or a media type with a story of incredible courage. Or Tiger. 
To be fair, I don't think it's going to be Tiger. Anyway, all will be revealed next Thursday. Back to Alex. I'll get back to school and footy in a moment. I have... I rarely voice my opinion on this podcast because mm. it's about the guest, Rancy. Um, I've wandered into the educational space a couple of times and all the wonderful, hardworking teachers out there invariably get in touch. From my experience, and I can only judge it on my experience, I've got a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, and I say this is only my experience, that when they were going through their primary school years, there seems to be a lot of discussion about resilience and how important resilience is, but no practical application and the kids are shielded from learning any resilience because the red pen never comes out. Um, everyone gets a participation. Everyone award. gets a medal. How does, and as I say, I've got tremendous, and we've all got even more respect for teachers after what happened with COVID because we did it ourselves mm. and it was bloody hard work. Yeah. And we all thought, well, teachers are underpaid and undervalued. So I, I want to preface it by saying that. How do you go, if, if you're moving into the football industry, it is a brutal industry. You've, you've talked about your mates getting shipped off out the door and what are they doing now. Wh- where do you sit on this and how do you go about teaching kids that they will apply for jobs they won't get and that they will not win everything and they'll have to come up against it where their education system at the moment, I'm not sure it's providing those knockbacks. Mm. It's it's a great question. I don't think it's a rather I, lengthy one. Wasn't it? No, no, <laughs> I, I it's a, it's a very very good question, and it's it's given me a good portion of time to think about my response. I think anything in life, when it comes to resilience, it always comes down to the carrot or the stick. That like, if you're going to do something for a sustained period of time, even though it's challenging, it needs to have significant carrots attached to it: mm-hmm. money, fame, title, friends whatever. If there's too much, but also you need a bit of the stick sometimes too because we're not always like to, to get you to move on because you're not, the stimulus needs to change every now and then that sometimes the carrot, sometimes it's the stick. If you overdo one, then it, it becomes less effective. Um, so when it comes to the goal of resilience, I think the same, the same rule applies that at the moment, just a lot of carrot a lot of carrot that that's just incentivize. You get anything for doing anything, and uh, but there needs to be a balance of the stick. A lot of carrot. A lot of carrot. A lot of carrot. A lot of carrot. So, <laughs> uh, but but then it's also reassuring after. And like I don't have any, I don't have any kids, but I've seen with my nephews and nieces reinforcement of value, and that just because this is the boundary that I'm setting, this firm boundary, and this is what's acceptable and what's not, doesn't make me love you any less. No. It doesn't make you less of a person. That if you, if you fail this test, this, this you know, literacy, numeracy, if you come last in this running um, event, that doesn't make you a bad person. That just means that you need to improve your running. It means you need to improve your literacy, your numeracy, and it gives you a point to keep moving forward. And that's how we build resilience and improve. Yes. And I think... Going back to my football career, you need to identify, de-identify performance with person. Like just because I played a good game of football doesn't make me a good person. That I can get three round low votes on the weekend and then go and punch someone at a pub, but that's okay because I played a good game, so that's acceptable. Mm. Like who you are as a person 
should be separated from outcomes and results because they're not they're not always the same thing. So what were you into at school? Um, I I was actually not a bad student. I I was pretty lazy. I was really creative. I was a bit of a so I went to a, like a music and art school for my first ten years. So right. see so, now, so this is when I said I don't. <laughs> No one knows much about you. Uh, tell me about your music and art. We had Nick Revolt on this show recently yeah. and we talked for half an hour about books yeah. and it was one of my favourite parts of a podcast I've done for a long time. Tell me about you and music and the creative side of art. Yeah. Um, because Richmond supporters will listen to this and they'll yeah. think, oh, right, didn't know that. Yeah, but that makes sense with why he's, yeah, <laughs> and then the pieces start to fall yeah. into place. well, that's the idea of what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, let's go back. What have we got? Um, some of my earliest memories, like I just loved in primary school learning about like Egypt and Vikings and adventure and um, I was always, you know, I would be the protagonist in those those things. I would always, you know, wear the Viking helmet and, <laughs> you know, put on. And I think it, it probably ties into um, my mum and uh, because as Jehovah's Witnesses, we never celebrated birthdays and we didn't do Christmas. Um, so to sort of show that it's that's okay, my mum would always um, put on different sort of events and there would always be like treasure hunts and like dress-up parties and like I was forever like a different Disney character or something like that. And so I, I really enjoyed that, you know, public speaking, theatrical element um, of of school. Uh, and then that sort of, it worked to a certain point um, up until, you know, year seven, year eight, year nine. And then I loved athletics and sport and um, swimming and triathlons and volleyball and golf and, and different things like that. And I found that this school that I was at, I was like, these guys suck. Like they're just losing everything. Like I have to do every single event and the only points we're getting is when I'm doing it. <laughs> you one-man show. What am I doing here? Um, and I remember the one teacher I had, Mr. Pitt, who was our PE teacher and he played at Swan Districts. So the, the um, uh, Waffle Side Swan Districts at the time because I'm from Western Australia. Um and I was just like so connected with him. I was like this. And Mr. Ford, he was my year two teacher. He was just, oh, he, I remember he drove this like Jeep Wrangler, uh, this black Jeep Wrangler. I was like, this guy's the man. Like he's so cool. Like he sort of, he gets it. Um, but every other teacher, I was just like, no, no chance. This is in, in primary school up until year 10. Um, so love the theater and art side of things. Always did public speaking. Always, um, you know, English I was quite good at just because I could, bluff my way through it, not because I had any sort of backbone around. Right. So um, we talking school plays and that type of thing? Uh, I think, yeah. So I was, uh, mum's got this photo of me like as a, this was like this Australian, I did ballet up until year oh, six or something. You did ballet? Yeah. Brilliant. So, um, and there's this photo of like, uh, I was, it was like this Australian ballet theatre thing. So I was like dressed up in a, as a shearer with like my ballet kit on and there's all these like uh, the girls in their sheep outfits and it was, um, yeah, shocking for stereotyping. All the girls were sheep, all the yeah. guys were shearers. So right. I'd do, now I'd be blown out the window. It would. Um, but yeah, like that that kind of stuff. Um, I remember I did choir for a little while, but that was mainly just because I was chasing a bird at the time who was in the choir. Um, <laughs> What's your singing voice like? Uh I actually don't mind my singing voice, okay. but I'm not sure if anyone else likes okay. it. But okay. um, yeah, so that's kind of the in a rambling sort of way what I what I enjoyed is, and then and then year eleven and twelve, I moved to like a St Kevin's or a Halebury, like yep. it was a 
all boys school Guildford? with Guildford Grammar, yep. yeah. So it had like a really good football program, and I was like, yeah, this is me. Like I found I found my tribe, like because I still found like creative, arty people, but they like dominated at sport too. And I was like, yeah, this is my family. Like this is this is the, my tribe who I know. And Western Australia being a a, a relatively or Perth being a relatively small place compared to. Hello to all our West Australian viewers. Love Perth. Spent time living in Perth, but compared to the East Coast cities, a little bit more insular. And due to the, the geographical location, a little probably a little bit more close than the rest of the country. Did you get much of? Oh, he's Murray Rancer's son. He's going to be a footballer or not? Across to Baxter. Baxter chips the ball in towards centre half forward. Over the hands of the pack. Rance picks up fires for goal, and he's kicked it. Rich Footscray's seventh goal. Seven five forty seven. Uh, Richmond four one. A little bit, but it was not in not in just regular life. It was just more as I sort of started to go up, and because we played for Swan Districts as well. So my dad played in Three Flags over there for Swan Districts, and so I reckon I I got selected in teams probably just because of my dad's name at start. Like That's I was, nice. I was it was good. It gave me a leg up. Um, it was a good lesson in life. It's not what you know; it's who you know. <laughs> um, so uh, got that leg up. Uh, and I was trash, like 14s, 15s, 16s. I made the state team for Western Australia, but still like was pretty embarrassing. Um, but then it was like 17, 18 that everything started to go a bit bit better. It was almost when I went to Guildford that things started to go on the up and did, up. Did you get to watch him play? Or was no, never. Right. No, so dad retired. He um, actually, he never actually played in the West Australian, uh, the, the West Coast Premiership. So he he was the second captain of West Coast. Um, and he, yeah, retired, I think, in 89, and I was born in 89. So so you come over here. Let me get the years right here. Uh, 2008, the 18th pick for Richmond, and at this stage you're not playing the VFL. You're playing for Coburg. So you're, you're two levels below the AFL side at this stage? Uh, so Coburg were our affiliate at the time. Right. So, but you're, you're right. I was playing VFL reserves. Right. So you're playing. That VFL doesn't even reserves. exist anymore. No. Yeah. Right. So they've got rid of that. So how prepared was this footballer, creative cat that rolled in from Perth to roll into a football club that was starved of success at Punt Road? And it's a very different place then, I imagine, to how it is now, Rancy. Mm. Uh, how was it for you? Yeah, it was not. I didn't fit in. Very well to start. Um, Why? Oh, because I the theatrical side of me was like, like I I just didn't understand hierarchy and like the footy hierarchy, and I think that's probably what made um, Jack Trent and myself and Grimesy and Dave good leaders at the back end is because we didn't believe in that hierarchy. Who was and, coach at this stage? Uh, so that was Terry Wallace. Okay. Um, and, and like I love player. I've, I've only had a few years with him, and he was uh, fantastic to me. Um, but it was just the sign of the times. Like that's just what it was. Um, so the hierarchy, as in, do what you're told. Hierarchy, or do what you're told. And if you're like in a meeting, you you senior guys are the only ones that talk. Okay. Um, which, Did you ever pipe up or not? Yeah, all the time. Right. And how'd that go down? Lead balloons. Right. <laughs> yeah. Not great. So it, the stereotype would be the senior blokes look at you and say, who's this young punk? Why hasn't he shut his trap? Yeah. Tell right. this kid to shut up and earn okay. his straps. Yeah. Okay. And But you pushed on. Yeah. Tell you, push on. Yeah. I'm a peacock. <laughs> You've got to let me fly. Um, I'm a peacock. <laughs> You've got to let me I think when we put the banner of this podcast, we Alex Rance, I'm a peacock. Let me fly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, yeah. And... I think the only thing that got me through was that 
every preseason, I was like top five in everything. Like I would try my backside off in everything, whether it was time trials or sprints or like there's this, and it's not a myth, it's just a, a story that actually happened where Richo was like, a, it might have even been a captain's run or something. And I'm like yelling at Richo to get through the cone. And he's like, pal, I'm like the best player Richmond's ever seen. Like, yeah. But then Richo didn't say that because he's the most humble man I've yes, ever met. Is. But like, I could just see his like brain. He's like, who is this kid? Like, yeah, I get it. You're like super fit and you, you try really hard, but like, you just don't get this space. Like, you don't get what footy clubs are about. And like, yeah, I, I just remember being a bit of a misfit. That I, I I sort of more fit with the guys that were sort of playing VFL twos and all that kind of stuff, but I had the the leadership qualities of a of a senior player. I just didn't have the skills to back it up. Yeah, um, and so yeah, it just took me time to find my place. So, I would imagine setting up a school culture is very important. So you get to Richmond in two thousand eight. You play your first game in two thousand nine against Geelong. Eighteen touches, six marks. Very nice start by you. Well done, Rancy. But in two thousand nine. Uh, I'm looking at the placings here. Tigers come, Tigers win five games in 2009. Mm. 2010, you win six games. 2011, you win eight games. 2012, you win 10 games. So it's it's a struggle. How, we'll get to what the culture became, but, and I know, and this is not to to denigrate who was in charge or who was at the place, but but you've seen both. You've seen the good and the not successful on the field. How, how was Richmond at that stage where you're winning five, six games as a organisation? Um, I'm probably not qualified to um, comment too much on that. I can I can tell you how it made me feel, okay. but, I, but I can't really tell you what leadership looked like from a football club standpoint, which I had a greater, I had a greater insight into later on in my career. Um, but I, I just, it just felt like a really serious place. Like it felt like such a pressure-filled, cutthroat, perform or get sacked right. sort, of, sort of environment. Everyone was talking about like contracts and how long they had left and, and in fear of getting sacked. Yes. Like it, it was almost when you're in a successful club, contracts are just sort of like, oh, yeah, no worries, Shorty just got a new five-year contract, sweet, no problems. Like they just sort of happen... But when you're, I think, at an unsuccessful, everyone's talking about what can we get for this player? Like, look at everyone just trying to pull apart West Coast right now. And, and you know, mm. what could we get for McGovern and Darling? And no one wants to get it, like, buy out Nick Natanui because he's got too much on his contract. Like, it becomes quite carnivorous. Um, and I think I've, I found that, um, that I was trying to be this sort of, like, bubbly, energetic, like, positive um Anything could happen. We could make finals every year into this environment that was just kind of like squash, like you know your place. Like let's just let's just focus on surviving okay. rather than thriving. Um, but that that's just how I felt, and and I was probably I'm not in any position to say that it was leadership's fault or. No, I get that. Um, but I think a big turning point to that was was like Chris Newman coming in and because maybe where he came from in that he wasn't a high draft pick, he did have to fight his way into the side and had a, had a really long, wonderful career built on courage and uh, built on selflessness and things like that, that that almost became the norm and that became like 
understanding and it's like, okay, now we're starting to get emotionally connected. And then he handed that over to Koch in a really good way and Koch sort of kept passing on the vulnerability torch and then it became like, yeah, we all can belong here. We all can succeed. And then that's when I think things started to go really well. We'll get to the vulnerability torch, as you call it. It's a great description. Reading, I think this is off your Wikipedia page. So in 2010, says this about you as a footy player. To that point, Rance had shown plenty of athletic talent, but for far more brain fades and failed plays. <laughs> and your coach jokingly said he termed it Alex Rance moments. Uh, a defender would perform some sort of incredible feat, winning a seemingly unwinnable one-on-one contest before making a questionable decision with ball in hand and turning it over. And I think when Dimmer got there, he jokingly said, I, I'd trade him for a six-pack. Mm. Um, how did you become that athletically gifted bloke, and I used to sit down on the boundary and think, God, look at this bloke, and then you'd, I can't play football. So I'm only reading the descriptions here, Rancy. Mm. And then run out of halfback and just chop it and turn it over and go back over your head the other way. How yeah. did you become from that to what your coach went on and said is the fullback of the century? And then you got the, um, the fullback of the century in Alex, which, you know, he just marvels at what he can do and how he can win the ball and, start our offence from there as well. So I'm very lucky. To have and him. won five All-Australians and is regarded as Lee Matthews, I think you called you the greatest defender of the modern era. Now, when Lee Matthews speaks, that's when I start to listen and think, <laughs> wow. So was that through hard work or was it through coaching? How did you make that amazing transformation? Um, oh, definitely through coaching. Like I, I, I'm not blind to see the work. So L- Lepper made me... The player, like Justin Lepich. Justin Lepich, but gave me gave me the skill set to be um, to survive and then to build on. So he gave me the foundation, and and Ben Rutten fixed my brain, like fixed my footy brain. What because, was wrong with it? Uh, well, it sort of lends itself to the the creativity chat that we talked about before. <laughs> so from a defensive standpoint, it was pretty good because I could sort of in my mind I could project. Okay, I think this is what's going to happen. Like here's here's like three scenarios which I reckon are going to happen. Uh, that one's less likely. That one's definitely not an option now. It's one of two now. Oh, that's de- okay, sweet. And then I would go and sort of intercept the ball or, or to peel off my bloke or something like that. So it was great when the game was quite static in defense and I was reading the play and I had a reference point on offense. When your brain is going, here's an option I could hit, there's an option I could hit, there's one, look at that, that cool's that, there's a supporter in the stands, how good, we're up by 15 points, like, that's hard to make a good decision. Okay. And so a brain fade is like, it's a good way to put it because it's almost like brain overload and just like, like, just shut down, gone. Like, right. poor decision because it's overstimulated. So I just had to then, when I got it, just stop, don't run. Don't run because you can't run and make a decision at the same same time. It was like Zoolander. I could only turn left. Like <laughs> you can only do one thing at once. Like you're either running or you're kicking. One of the two. You're not doing both at the same time. And so I just had to simplify that. And then over time, I started to work things out and and build on that. But yeah, it was just trying to do too much at once. And I would see these guys like Dusty and Shedder, Shane Edwards, and um, who else was there that were just amazing decision makers and kick. Koch was a beautiful kick. Uh, Jordy McMahon at the time, he was a great kick. Um, and I was like, I, I can do that. I can try that. No, I can't. Like, yes, I can put the ball from my foot, hand to my foot, but it doesn't look the way they do. And they can see things that I can't. 
So it was just an acknowledgement of skill set that I needed to just go, all right, let's pump the brakes. And then it wasn't that I was making um, more good decisions. It was just making, I was making less poor ones. Yeah. So One of your teammates said that you may not remember this. Um, as I said, I, I ran quite a few people, which I don't typically do because I thought, well, I just don't know much about this dude. So I'm glad how open you're being. It talked about a, a training session where no marks would be play, paid. So you had to play on. Yeah. Is this ringing a bell with you? It's a great story, yeah. Well, you might as well tell it rather than No, me. no, yeah, I want to no, hear you. I no. want to hear you because it's, I'm trying to work out who's the, who's your source here on this one as well. I'll, so, I'll, so, talk, so talk to me. Okay. I, I much prefer the guest to tell the story, but let me have it. I'm not going to show you who this came from, but uh, now here we go. One day, Dimmer sent him off the track because we were doing a drill that was about playing fast and there were no marks being paid. Rancy took a mark and forgot about the rule and got tackled. He spat it at Dimmer and then basically got red carded off the track. <laughs> yeah. So from then on, Dimmer had cards. Like he 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 literally every training said he would have cards and he's like, Rancy, I'm gonna card you again. If you're not like if you don't, if you keep this up, you're gonna get carded. So it was like at the time I was dead serious that I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, what are we learning from this? Like, this is so like I was just overdoing it, like complete just like turbo mode. Um, and so yeah, I had to leave the track, sit on the bench for a little bit to cool down. Um, because like and Dimo is a, as everyone has seen, is an amazing coach. But but I also I think he probably enjoyed the fact that I challenged and sort of didn't just do exactly what he said. Like there was plenty of times on field where Dimo would say, "This is the start. This is what I want you to do," and I would say, "Okay, with respect, I'm just going to do this anyway." And then it was a great relationship that he still allowed me to have the freedom and creativity, um, but. Also, he would come down pretty hard. It's like, I told you to do that and it didn't come off. But also, he'd probably learn a few things as well by allowing me to be a bit freer. So, yeah, that, that was very funny, um, that, that training session. Because, I, yeah, I went crazy. Like, I was, I was like, we had this like... Cause, and the reason why he carded me and sent me off is because I just kept going with it like a dog with a bone. <laughs> and I was like, but how are we learning this, Dimmer? Seriously, how are we supposed to get a disposal away when you're not paying any marks? They're straight on our head. And he's like, Alex, get off. <laughs> and everyone's like just standing there like, what the heck is going on here? This guy's a nut. So I, I must say, I did speak to him. Um, and he could not have been more glowing about you. But the thing that tickled my fancy, um, I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this, was I, I rang him on the way up. I, I teed it up to have a chat with him. And he's like, I'd love to chat to you about Alex. And he was in the car with Alistair Clarkson. And I did say to them, please tell me you guys are driving around Melbourne with between you, your seven premiership medallions on. <laughs> But they weren't. But they thought, oh, we might have a crack at that. I couldn't believe they were both in the car. Just in the glove box, yeah, just in case just, they get pulled there. over by a cop. Just like, uh, <laughs> will you take this instead? How about six more of these? <laughs> that is the end of Alex Rance Part A. Part B awaits. Listener.